Under the always watching gaze of eyes above plays out a scene full of decadence, gin, and glamour, stuffed with privilege, devoid of meaning. It is on this stage that one man has spent his life trying to be a player and has spent his money trying to earn the love of one woman. That man's name? Jay Gatsby. The book, The Great Gatsby. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's Let's get lit! lit. to Lit Society, a show about books and drama. Alexis, how are you on this first ever recording of our Great Gatsby episode? I'm present and accounted for. Oh, well, that's good. That's good. How's your mood today? How are you feeling? Not good. It's not, not been good. a good day. No. Oh, I can understand that. Oh, I want to... you? Ta- you know, I'm... I'm similar. However, I'm super excited about the Lit Society Pod Shop, which opened yesterday. Yeah, that's it's really cool. cool. That's always exciting. Yeah. We got some new items out there. I really love that thesaurus short. I really love that thesaurus <laughs> shirt. <laughs> the thesaurus shirt is my favorite. And you guys, we take our time to design these. We send each other designs to make sure they're not too, you know, sometimes you think the joke is funny on the shirt and the other person's like, I'll get that joke, take that off, remove it from the store. So we really design these in-house. It's Alexis and I. We put our heart and soul into it. So we hope you enjoy it. That shop will be open until Wednesday, April 15th. And it's cool. Like, yeah, like um, Alexis said, we have a thesaurus, the thesaurus shirt. We got some quarantine merch for all our quarantine queens and kings out there. You know, we making the best of a really weird situation. Speaking of quarantine, how you been holding up? Very well. I actually enjoy quarantine. <laughs> what's your What's your favorite thing about quarantine? Being at home by myself. Okay. And I have to say, I mean, I hate to uh, drink the Kool-Aid, but these D-Nice mixes... Now, I don't know the songs that he's playing, but I'm dancing all the same. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, those are fun. (laughs) And then local. mm -hmm. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say I had an opportunity to do it to an uh, exercise routine. So that was fun, too. Uh, Also, master classes. Are you familiar with the master class? Yeah, I've seen a lot of (laughs) the master classes. Yeah. mm -hmm. Have you ever taken one? No, not at all. Yeah, me neither. But I I just like looking at what they're talking about. And their budget must be astronomical. They got Anna Wintour. Today, Neil deGrasse Tyson told me he was going to teach me how to think. And I was honestly offended. (laughs) You don't even know me. Don't be offended. Some people need to be taught. Also, I've been reading, working (laughs) and meditating while listening to Chilled Cow. Are you familiar with Chilled Cow? chilled like ice cubes no i've never like heard moon. okay so i can't usually listen to music when i'm reading or studying but chilled cow is uh, a daily mix of lo-fi beats that like uh really helped me focus it actually helps me uh focus more than without it so again chilled cow i highly recommend it's on spotify oh, really? youtube yeah and I've, I've been listening to him for years but i didn't know it's updated daily so it's my happy place 
And lastly, uh, and so it allows no, go ahead. it allows you to work and have this music in the background. And is it um, would you say it's lo-fi music? Yeah, like slower, but with beats. So it's not putting me to sleep. And yeah, yeah. it helps me focus on whatever I'm reading or doing. That's pretty cool. All right. So moving on. Um, each week, readers, we choose a theme to discuss based on the book we're reading. And this week for our Great Gatsby episode, the theme is Rosie Retrospection and How to Get Over Past Relationships. Alexis, are you familiar with the term Rosie Retrospection? No, but it makes me think of the idea of thinking back on something different than it originally was. So maybe positively about a negative experience. Yeah. Yeah. So Rosie retrospection refers to the psychological phenomenon of people sometimes judging the past disproportionately more positively than they judge the present. So my question to you, what events in our lives do you think people often remember more favorably than they occurred? Um, I would say relationships. Yeah, that's a common one. So I found this article on psych. Psychology Today by Jen Kim. That's J-E-N, last name K-I-M. And it's entitled, Is the One That Got Away Real? Why We Stay Fixated on Past Relationships That Don't Deserve It. You got any experience with this? Feeling like one got away? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if it's a one got away, but, you know, at the time I felt like it was a missed opportunity. Uh But, um... Yeah. So, yeah, I guess sort of that. Yeah. Yeah, I have to. I mean, um, not recently, but I definitely I, I remember what that I know what that feels like for sure, as do many people. There's a paragraph here I want to share that I thought was pretty um, relatable. Uh, Kim says, like the concept of soulmates, this cinematic hyperbole does little more than encourage poor, starry eyed saps to assign more value to a relationship than it (laughs) deserves. I love that because the problem with a soulmate is that there can only be one. There's one person for you. And if it don't work with them, well, I guess you ain't never going to be in love ever. And there goes your chance and boo to the who. But that's not life. That's not really how life works. Or that you'll be in a relationship where that person just doesn't measure up Ooh. to what you felt like was the one. Yeah. Oh, nail on the hatch. She continues. After all, you can only have one single soulmate and only one that got away. The latter even enjoying special posthumous privileges long after the relationship has run its course. Those that get away will always be remembered as something larger than life. Great, mythic, enchanting heroes of your past. They're the most beautiful, the wittiest, the best lovers, the ones who understood us the most. The ones who no one else can measure up to. Ooh, how fair. Even years later. They are a lovely curse forever trapped by our nostalgia. So, I mean, even with friendships, I can remember feeling like I really ruined a friendship and that that friendship got away. It wasn't a romantic relationship, but I was still heartbroken over it. Um, mm-hmm. I have those from uh, high school. <laughs> See, <laughs> like, how did I lose that friend? Right. Mm. What did I do? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it is us. I mean, especially is this true with cheaters? Sometimes you do stuff to lose people forever because they care about themselves more than they care about nursing your uh, issues. But then sometimes it's just a matter of two personalities that didn't harmonize well. And that's okay. Um, Kim quotes here a psychotherapist, Kevin Owen, and he says, rather, the most important step to take is to realize that the one who got away is gone. 
You don't want to be with someone who doesn't want to be with you or wasn't willing to work to improve your relationship. I love this because when I think about the people in my life that really matter, they're patient with me. And there's an interchange there of patience where we both want the relationship to work Um, and not always romantic, but even in um, platonic friendships, you want that relationship to work. So you make the effort. So if someone isn't making the effort, they don't want it to work. And that's okay. Bye bye. Right. But that's right. And especially if they don't want to work with you, Mm -hmm. you have to be in a relationship, whatever kind of relationship where there's mutual interest in seeing it move forward. Yeah. And without that, there is no success, period. But what about the theory that um, if he was the expression, <laughs> if, you if you let, let him it go, go and, and come back and come and back again, you know who made that? That's interesting. You say that this is a great philosophy for cheaters because <laughs> they really do feel like you can go out there, do your dirt, but I'll always come back to you. And that means we meant to be together. No, if you got to let what it not? go, let it go. I, I, what? What? But sometimes it's not the one that's cheated that feels that way, that you feel like you got to let them go go away, get their space. Why do you have to let them? What is it? What are what's going on? Because they're not they're not on the same level as you are right now. So maybe they need time enough to kind of get themselves together. If that means being with somebody else, that means being with somebody else. But. When that is over and maybe they're in a better space and they come back to you, why is that wrong? I can understand that. So my thinking is like this. Who I was five years ago is not who I am today. And the Kari of 10 years ago is definitely not who I was today. So that person in that moment is not the one for you because in that moment, they're not the one for you. Now, five or 10 years from now, they're in a lot of ways a different person. Maybe at that time, they'll be the one for you. But it's not the one. I shouldn't even say that. They don't mesh well with you. There's never just one person that's going to work or that isn't. And then once you like um, solidify your relationship, and I am speaking exclusively romantic now, you continue to change, but you have to be invested enough to bring that person with you in the change and make room for them and whoever you become five or 10 years later. Can you let someone go and then they come back to you and that means it was meant to be? (laughs) (laughs) I laugh, I laugh, but I don't know. I might feel that way. Nobody ever came back to me. So so I don't think it applies. Because obviously they wasn't for Alexis and I think that's great. So (laughs) glad that garbage did into your life. But all of this is just words. This does little to heal a broken heart. Ooh, I know that feeling when you just want it to work and why isn't it working? And we would be so great together. So to help you, sometimes, you know, it doesn't work and you want it to work anyway, especially if they can't just. Yeah. And that's just the hard part. You just got to realize if it's not working, just stop. Yeah. Even if y'all look cute together, (laughs) even if y'all look cute together or you think y'all look cute together, maybe they don't. (laughs) So Kim Kim says to help you take this step. Try implementing these three tactics. Number one, make a list of reasons why the relationship worked and one for why it didn't work. This is important because you have to be real. Obviously, there was something there that the other person saw or that you saw um, that forced the relationship to come to an end. Be honest. Write those things down if you can. 
Number two, stop following their social media. If that means <laughs> if that means you have to get off of social media entirely, do it. Do it for you. Um, one client of O'Reilly, another therapist, uh, one of their clients opted to do 10 push-ups every time they wanted to check their ex's page. So there you go. Then you get really, really, you know, oh, fit. That's real and- punishment. <laughs> and you remove this person from your life and lastly number three try to stay in the present if we let our minds wander too often to past regrets and mistakes it can lead to depression anxiety illness and other problems and that's real so i don't feel like your chance at happiness has passed you by every day is an opportunity for happiness and truthfully if you stay in a relationship with someone that doesn't want to be with you that is a great recipe for unhappiness no matter how you see it today that's so, for real. All right. Anything else you want to add to that? No, no. <laughs> all right. Let's take a break. And we're back. Welcome back, Alexa. Thank you. So. <laughs> Can you give us some context on F. Scott Fitzgerald and uh, his perhaps uh, inspiration behind The Great Gatsby? Okay, let me start with some information about Francis Scott Key Fitzgerald. I've always loved the name Francis. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. I mean, I I like it too. I do too. Francisco, Frank, Francis. It's all good. Okay. Yeah, it's all good. Um, He was born, he was named after a family member, some distant cousin or something. He was born in 1896 in St. Paul, Minnesota, to an upper middle class family. He was raised in Buffalo, New York, and also he lived in Minnesota. So while he was born in Minnesota, he was raised for like 10, 11 years in Buffalo, New York. And then he went back to Minnesota. That makes so much sense. Because did you notice in the book, the um, Jay Gatsby lived in like, say, Olaf for a period? Did you? Okay. And I said, huh? Golden Girls fan. But wait, go ahead. (laughs) <laughs> he um he went to Princeton and dropped out to join the army. Uh, between 1915 and 1917, he was romantically involved with a 16-year-old socialite, darn it all, by Gene- Geneve King. Geneve. Anyway, he was 19 at the time. I still think that's weird, but you know, I, I guess for the time period. It's a three-year difference. He's still an adult and she is still a child. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, so her family actually discouraged the relationship because of his lower class status. Her father reportedly said, poor boys shouldn't think of marrying rich girls. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if people believe that anymore. Anyway, um, <laughs> she, this woman, well, they this 16-year-old socialite became the inspiration for the Daisy character, as well as another character in his uh, first love novel, This Side of Paradise. That makes sense. Later, he started a relationship with Zelda. Zelda tells Scott that in order for him to marry her, he needs to be able to provide. Yeah, <laughs> he needs to be able to provide. And so for her, you know, you got to be able to pay some bills. And this writer thing you're doing, I don't know about that, honey. And so after proving he could support his 
a wife and his proof came from the acceptance of his um, book for publication. He was able to marry Zelda in 1920. They had one child and that child's name was Francis Scott Fitzgerald or Scotty. And, oh, and it was a girl. Yep, it was a girl. Isn't that cute? Name Scotty. I love that. Mm-hmm. Me too. Um, he was friends with Ernest Hemingway. Mm. Ernest Hemingway didn't get along with his wife. Hemingway described his wife as insane in his memoir and claimed that she encouraged Scott to drink to distract himself from working on his novel. He was probably drinking with Hemingway. (laughs) (laughs) She wanted um, she wanted Scott to write the short stories that supported their lifestyle. Now, they were. They made money off of the things that he did. He wrote, um, I think he wrote some plays too. And um, he was writing short stories. Now the short stories is where the money was. You would do these short stories and submit them to the paper. That supported his lifestyle. That gave him an income. But to other writers, uh, um, that was considered whoring. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So. He died in 1940 at the age Wait, of 44. Wait, why was that considered whoring? Because it's like the lesser art. It's yeah, like a cheap, it's not. Okay, okay. You know, you're not writing your passion. You you know, think you're of writing Hemingway. Yeah, you're writing these novels, oh. and and then here you're writing short stories for the local paper. What's that? That's mm-hmm. not the same thing. It doesn't measure up. So even though he died at 44, he had a measure of success. But he died feeling like he never met the level of success that he wanted to so he died feeling like a failure oh man and even even though he died feeling like a failure he is considered one of the greatest american writers of the 20th century now great gatsby was published in 1925 in the u.s and it was inspired by the parties that he attended while visiting long island's north shore and so during the 20s this was a time I want to say of excess, even though it was right around the depression, right? Isn't that where the depression hit right after the war? Was it coming? Oh, you know, was it coming off of the depression? Okay. So it's so people and prohibition made people want to drink more and they were drinking like moonshine and crazy stuff. So. Yeah. So it was during the jazz age, which is also during prohibition era, as you mentioned. And so um, this cop, this book, only sold 20,000 copies and it received a lot of mixed reviews. So that also contributed to him um, feeling like a failure. But the novel experienced a revival during World War II. There and, you go. and the depression came after the Roaring Twenties. It started oh, in nineteen twenty nine. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay, okay, that that does make sense. Um, and it was revived, and as I understand it, because in his obituary that was published in the paper, his publisher mentioned the uh, the Great Gatsby. And so people read that and they picked it up again. And it became so popular that it became part of the high school curricula. Oh, and the then, irony. That's so sad. So because of the obituary mention, people wanted to read his work. People picked it up again. Yep. Mm-hmm. Posthumously. Yep. Okay. And then, you know, this book has had adaptations any way you want to take them plays um good grief movies yeah movies at least four movies we know the most recent one was the one with leonardo dicaprio 
Mm-hmm. So the Greg Gatsby is now considered <laughs> a masterpiece. And yeah, it's a masterpiece. So that's okay. what I got Thank for you. Thank you for that. I love it. Now, can you give us a no spoilers, brief synopsis of The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald? Well, you know, I like to keep it really brief. So here goes. A mysteriously wealthy man sets out to rekindle a relationship with an old flame despite her marriage. And child. Yeah. So that was it. So, Kari, what do you think? What were your first thoughts? Well, I put off reading this book until the last of the last of the last minute. Won't do that again because now we're recording at 2 a.m. So (laughs) um, I wasn't like hugely excited to read it. I felt like, what am I in 10th grade? Another Alexis pick. Ooh, great. (laughs) And um, (laughs) and yeah, that was it. I wasn't hugely excited. I felt like I know the story. I'm sick of the Great Gatsby theme parties. And my hatred for that has probably bled into my um, thoughts on the word. That's so strong. (laughs) Wow. There are other decades. We can all dress up like something else besides flappers. What what was your first thought? I was excited. I I think this is like my fourth time reading The Great Gatsby. The first time I read it, I was in high school. So I was really looking forward to it, even though I did put it off to the last minute. I was really looking. <laughs> oh, I, was really, I wasn't alone. Good. Yeah, I okay. was really looking forward to reading it. And I didn't remember. I mean, I've read it before as an adult. Um but I was looking forward to reading it and I didn't remember much about it. So I was looking forward to finding either. out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was it. Cool. Well, now the time has come. Alexis, are you ready? As ready as For I'll ever be. A deep spoiler filled deep dive into the great Gatsby. Y'all ready to Take be spoiled? Away. <laughs> Cause here it comes. Part one. Meet my friend. So Mm. Nick Carraway is our narrator and he's a prominent well-to-do. He's from a prominent well-to-do family in the Midwest. He graduated from Yale and moved to New York to sell bonds. He finds a small bungalow that has a finish made um, and he can rent this bungalow out for like $80 a month. He initially had a roommate, but that roommate got called to do some other work in Washington. So he ends up moving into this. So he gets the whole house to himself. Yep. The whole house to himself. And he, that where he moves is next to this massive mansion in an area called West egg. Now, West Egg is said to be where the newly rich live without social connections. So you get all this money suddenly, but you don't really have connections. Now you have money. So what they do is they Mm -hmm. throw parties. That's how you get to know people. (laughs) You throw some parties and then all kind of people come to these parties. The mansion he lives next to belongs to Jay Gatsby. Jay Gatsby throws these all night parties. Okay. Now they be up all night long, all night long. <laughs> and they're full of a good time. This is like a nothing but self-indulgence in there. They're partying, they're right. drinking. I mean, excess, like you said, S excess. Okay. Can we just say that? Don't forget folks. There's nothing but excess here. Mm-hmm. 
it's the kind of party that you have, like if you were in the city, the neighbors would call the police on you and the police would definitely come and break it up and maybe send a couple <laughs> you to jail. OK, that's the kind of parties <laughs> in that another neighborhood. Me. But this is West A. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this is West A. So that's not, not the West Side. Right. So listen, uh even though these people are at Gatsby's house, at his party that he's throwing, I mean, he's feeding them, he's providing music and alcohol. They don't know him. They don't know him mm-hmm. at all. And so during these parties, people have a tendency to discuss the rumors that they've heard about Gatsby. Uh, he killed a man once. He was a German spy <laughs> during the war. Oh, no, wait, but he's American. So, no, that wasn't him. He's a bootlegger. Mm-hmm. He went to Oxford. You know, Oxford in England. That's what he said, though. <laughs> That's what they're thinking. But ultimately, they don't know him. These are just rumors spreading around. Mm-hmm. Nick Carraway, however, he comes from a family that's upper middle class, but he's also connected to a family with money. So he has a cousin in East Egg. Now, East Egg is where the old money is. You're talking about old and long money. That's what he got. <laughs> That's what he got over there. He's got a cousin. That's in East Egg. And his cousin's name is Daisy Buchanan. Now, his cousin is married to a man with long, long, long money. Long money? Okay. And his name <laughs> is Tom much. Buchanan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Nick actually went to school with Tom. So they friends, you know, they friends. One day, Nick goes to visit his cousin and her husband for dinner. So meet my friend. They introduce Nick to a woman named Jordan Baker, a longtime friend of Daisy. And she's also a professional golfer. Now, we done heard some stuff about her, but we'll tell you about that a little later. And also, (laughs) not Daisy, um, Jordan and Nick, kind of become an item. I think Kari disputes this, but I they become an item. It's in the book, okay? I don't think they're an item. I think it's just no one else to like kiss in corners. <laughs> so they're like, well, I'll kiss you or whatever. No, they're an item. Look it up. It's in the but book. But Nick is like, I also only sometimes like women. So, okay, guys. <laughs> and so during this visit, Tom gets this call. And so he's in the, say in the kitchen talking and Daisy then goes and kind of follows him out, okay? And while they're in the kitchen, Jordan leans over and whispers to Nick, look, Tom is having an affair. Listen, check it out. (laughs) Tom is having an affair, and sometimes that woman he having an affair with is bold enough to call the house during dinner. Can you believe that? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Eventually, um, they come back in the kitchen. And what, excuse me, come back in the kitchen. the room dining room yeah and they over actually daisy comes back and she hears nick and jordan speaking and she overhears them say what gats no she overhears them say uh gatsby so daisy says what gatsby but dinner is called so no one Response. Okay, so it just wasn't the time. Instead, they talk about the butler's nose, which is really (laughs) awkward. (laughs) So many, so many. Okay, so sometime (laughs) later, Tom and Nick get on the train and head to New York. But on the way, they hop off because Tom said, "Meet my friend." 
<laughs> he wants Taiwan's neck to meet his girl. His girl, not mm-hmm. not his wife, but his girl. Okay, let's just mm-hmm. clear that up here. So they head over to Tom a, is a terrible person. We all know this at this point of the book. Let's get that out. That's true. Yeah. So they head over to this kind of garage, if you will. It's a repair shop. They sell. They buy and sell cars. It's a gas station. It's stuff going on. The the garage <laughs> is owned by George Wilson, Mr. Wilson. George Wilson is married to Myrtle Wilson, who is Tom's girlfriend. Did y'all catch that? <gasps> That's right. Tom's girlfriend. So they both married. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they both married. Why am I laughing? This is terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> so Tom tells Myrtle, hey, hey, I want to see you. And how that set up is Tom gets to the uh, garage. He starts asking um Mr. Wilson to do something. Hey, do something. I mean, what you think I'm here for? Fill me up or something. And um, <laughs> then Myrtle comes down and she's like, you see two people, get some chairs. So, you know, he ran around doing everything for <laughs> everybody. her husband. Yes, exactly. <laughs> he's like whipped. He doesn't have a, uh, he's not the head of his house. Yes, truly. So then he, <laughs> um, so then he comes back and brings some chairs. And while he's, they're out, while he's going to get the chairs, Tom leans over and is like, hey, hey, I want to see you. Let's go into town. Right. Can you believe that? <laughs> so scandalous. Yeah. Myrtle then tells Mr. Wilson, her husband, hey, look, I'm going in town to see my sister and hang out for a little while. He's like, her okay. sister does live in town. Her sister so does like, look in town. So he, that's no big deal. And so right. they meet a little bit up the road and jump back on the train and head into New York. And they go to a apartment that Tom has set up for Myrtle. I mean, she got like a whole apartment, a whole apartment here. So they decide to have a little party. They invite the neighbors from downstairs. Myrtle's sister comes and they're just, you know, hanging it out. But what they're doing is they drinking and chit-chatting and whatnot, you know, being all social. And during this little party, Myrtle is... We're led to believe that Myrtle believes Tom can't get a divorce because Daisy is Catholic and (laughs) Catholics don't believe in divorce. Now, again, Nick is the cousin to Daisy. So Nick says to himself, hmm, Daisy's not Catholic. So somebody telling some lies here. Right. Um, As is common in affairs. mm -hmm. I hear. Mm hmm. Okay, so Nick doesn't really want to be there, but he's kind of pressured to stay. Tom and Myrtle um, get into an argument. Well, I mean, I don't know what else you expect. They've been drinking and mm-hmm. hanging out. Which is all these people do is go from place to place getting drinking cocktails. Mm-hmm. That's their life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Tom and Myrtle get into this argument on whether or not Myrtle has the right to mention Daisy's name. So mm-hmm. they're arguing and she's like, he said, don't say her name. You can't say her name. She says, Daisy, <laughs> Daisy, Daisy. He then what do do? open hand slaps her and breaks her nose. Yeah, that happened. Mm-hmm. That escalated quickly. Mm-hmm. Very quickly. Part two, I'm Gatsby. One day, the chauffeur walks across the lawn to give Nick an invitation to one of Gatsby's parties. He finally gets an invite. So he goes over knowing he's the only one with an actual invite. And once he arrives, he looks for the host, okay? But he's unable to locate him. There's like a swarm of people. It's a whole party, right? He asks people. Nobody knows where he is. 
And while he's there, he runs into, guess who? Jordan Baker. That's his little boo thing. <laughs> I'm telling you, they, they're a couple. <laughs> you remember, Jordan Baker is Daisy's longtime friend. Now, while they're there, they hear stories from the other guests about the last time that that guest was at the party. And she said, well, guess what happened? So I had this dress on. It got tore in the chair. Gatsby saw it. He asked me for my name and address. And guess what? A week later, I received a new evening gown in the mail. And to, I mean, and it was $300, which is a lot of money for that time. Yeah. So I thought that was classy. You tore your dress at my party on my chair. I buy you a new dress. I think it is. I want to go and tear my dress on this chair. Okay. And the party sound <laughs> hype anyway. Yes. But they didn't take it that way. No. They didn't see it as classy. They didn't see it like that. They said that meant this is a man that doesn't want trouble with anyone. Okay. He's got something to hide. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Jordan and Nick kind of break away from the chatter and they go look in the house, kind of snoop around. They're still looking for the host, but they, you know, they just want to mix it up. Eventually, they're back outside again, listening to music. And then a man walks up to Nick and says, hey, you look familiar. They chat about the military and the man invites him in to go hydroplaning in the morning. And as they're speaking, Nick says, you know, it's really unusual for me to be at a party and not know the host. And then the man says, I'm Gatsby. <laughs> I was still with Jordan Baker. We were sitting at a table with a man of about my age and a rowdy little girl who gave way upon the slightest provocation to uncontrollable laughter. I was enjoying myself now. I had taken two finger bowls of champagne and the scene had changed before my eyes into something significant, elemental, and profound. At a lull in the entertainment, the man looked at me and smiled. Your face is familiar, he said politely. Weren't you in the third division during the war? Why, yes. I was in the 9th Machine Gun Battalion. I was in the 7th Infantry until June 1918. I knew I'd seen you somewhere before. We talked for a moment about some wet, gray little villages in France. Evidently, he lived in this vicinity for he told me that he had just bought a hydroplane and was going to try it out in the morning. Want to go with me, old sport? Just near the shore along the sound. What time? Any time that suits you best. It was on the tip of my tongue to ask his name when Jordan looked around and smiled. Having a gay time now, she inquired. Much better. I turned again to my new acquaintance. This is an unusual party for me. I haven't even seen the host. I live over there. I waved my hand at the invisible hedge in the distance, and this man Gatsby sent over his chauffeur with an invitation. For a moment, he looked at me as if he failed to understand. I'm Gatsby, he said suddenly. What? I exclaimed. Oh, I beg your pardon. I thought you knew, old sport. I'm afraid I'm not a very good host. So, after introduction, after that introduction, Gatsby is called away to take a phone call and Nick and Jordan again begin to gossip. Nick thought, hey, I thought he was going to be older. Jordan said, (laughs) you know he's an Oxford man. 
but I don't believe him. But you know what? Jordan is a little liar herself. So who is she to say? She don't believe nobody. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. She don't think he went there. Anyway, later on, they're listening to music and a butler walks up and tells Jordan, Gatsby wants to speak with you privately. Oh, me? Okay, sure. (laughs) So she goes away and she, um, that's Jordan goes away talks to Gatsby. They're speaking for a little while. They're speaking so long. I mean, it's about an hour, but by the time she's coming out, her her ride is leaving, so she got to run out. But she passes um, Nick on the way yeah. out, and yeah. she's like, hey, hey, oh, I got so much to tell you, but I'm not supposed to tell you, but I can't <laughs> wait to tell you. Call me, okay? Call me tomorrow. And she <laughs> runs out. So now think about it. At these big old parties, there are rich and famous people, theater people, old money people, new money people, just Anybody who's anybody is really at these parties. Hollywood royalty artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're at these parties. Listen, part three. Of- and they, and there's a point where um someone says, you don't get invited. You just come. Yeah. So that's <laughs> it's like almost a public play. There's also a line in there I like about how larger parties are more intimate than private ones. Because it's true. I love it because it's so <laughs> You can just true. sneak into so a corner. True. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sneak into a corner with your yeah, friends and have a whole little party by yourself. <laughs> a party within the party. Yes. Those are the best parties. Yes. <laughs> okay, part three, a version of the truth. One day, Gatsby stops by Nick's and tells him, you're going to lunch with me. So they drive to New York for lunch. On the drive, Gatsby seems to relax a bit, as Nick put it. Gatsby's been leaving his elegant sentences unfinished and slapping himself indecisively on the knee in his caramel colored suit. (laughs) (laughs) He tells Nick. Yeah, it's shocking. He tells Nick he's going to tell him the truth about himself. He tells him he's the son of wealthy people in the Middle West. Now, Nick says, what part of the Middle West? San Francisco. I didn't even catch that. So that's what Gatsby said. That's says. what Gatsby that's said. The part of, that's the part of the Middle West he's from. Yeah. California. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now shut up. I'm telling the story. <laughs> right. Both parents are dead. So Gatsby says, mm-hmm. both of my parents are dead. Listen, I was brought up in America, but I was educated at Oxford because, you know, all my ancestors were educated there. All my family died. And then I came into a lot of money, a lot of money. Okay. He said, I was living like a Raja, a prince, you know, in all the capitals of Europe, <laughs> collecting jewelry, hunting big game, big game, painting, trying to forget something sad that happened to me. He told him about the time that he was in the war. He even showed him a picture of himself at Oxford and the medals that he earned while in the military. Nick, I don't know if he's buying it, but he is like, yeah, OK, yeah. So he told Nick <laughs> that he had a big request and Mrs. Baker was going to tell him about it. Now, Miss Baker, that's Jordan, you know, his little boot thing. <laughs> he, wanted Ms. So. he wanted Jordan <laughs> to ask about it. Well, Nick is like, well, I'm a little annoyed, but um, so why can't you just ask me yourself? Are you in love with Jordan? What's going on? He said no. Just was he on. a little jealous there? I think like, he was because know. it's his boot thing. So? I keep telling you. Okay. He said, well, why, you know, just, God. anyway, he's annoyed. So still on their way to New York, Gatsby kind of gets pulled over. Not kind of, he does. He shows the policeman his Oxford picture 
and they let him go. And why? Because he did a favor for the commissioner once. Gatsby introduced him, that is um, Nick, to a man named Mr. Wolfshine. And we later learned that Mr. Wolfshine is a gambler and the man who fixed the 1919 World Series. After lunch, Nick sees Tom Buchanan and wants to introduce him to Gatsby. He's like, oh, I can't wait to make this introduction. Nick makes the introduction and then he turns around to continue the conversation. Gatsby done disappeared. Okay. Nick, of course. So he got nervous when Tom came, or I don't know. Yeah, he got nervous. He was uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he had an ulterior motive. Wouldn't you be mm-hmm. uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know, because Tom don't mind talking to his mistress's husband. <laughs> but anyway, I'm getting ahead of yourself. That okay, is okay. a different whole story. That man <laughs> think he's somebody, right? Tom is just terrible. Yeah. yeah. So Nick later meets up with Jordan that afternoon, and she relays the story of Gatsby and Daisy. Jordan says that Daisy and her lived in the same town. Now, Daisy was a couple years older than her. And so Jordan was like, yeah, I really admired Daisy. And um, at the time, she was involved with some some a military guy, but her mama didn't let her marry him. So once she got over that, she got engaged to a man from New Orleans, and that guy's name was Tom Buchanan, and he was a big deal in Louisville. Jordan was the bridesmaid, and she describes an evening where she um, she found Daisy laying on a bed, stupid drunk, with a letter in hand and a bottle in another hand. The largest of the banners and the largest of the lawns belonged to Daisy Faye's house. She was just 18, two years older than me, and by far the most popular of all the young girls in Louisville. She dressed in white and had a little white roadster, and all day long the telephone rang in her house and excited young officers from Camp Taylor demanded the privilege of monopolizing her that night. When I came opposite her house that morning, her white roadster was beside the curb, and she was sitting in it with a lieutenant I had never seen before. They were so engrossed in each other that she didn't see me until I was five feet away. Hi, Jordan, she called unexpectedly. Please come here. The officer looked at Daisy while she was speaking in the way that every young girl wants to be looked at sometime. And because it seemed romantic to me, I've remembered that incident ever since. His name was Jay Gatsby, and I didn't lay eyes on him again for over four years. Even after I'd met him on Long Island, I didn't realize it was the same man. Wild rumors were circulating about her, how her mother had found her packing her bag one winter night to go to New York and say goodbye to a soldier who was going overseas. She was effectually prevented, but she wasn't on speaking terms with her family for several weeks. In June, she married Tom Buchanan of Chicago with more pomp and circumstance than Louisville ever knew before. I was bridesmaid. I came into her room half an hour before the bridal dinner and found her lying on the bed as lovely as a June night in her flowered dress and as drunk as a monkey. She had a bottle of satiny in one hand and a letter in the other. Daisy, so remember the night they were at dinner when um, Jordan first met Nick? Yeah, and told him, uh, don't you, do you live next door to Gatsby? Do you know Gatsby? Yeah, so mm-hmm. Daisy really did hear that. She perked up. So that evening, she, when Jordan went to bed, Daisy followed her up and said, hey, 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 what about this Gatsby guy? What you talking about? What did he look like? 
So she was thinking about it. So, of course, Jordan kind of describes them, but she's half asleep. So she doesn't think anything about it. And so Nick mm-hmm. was thinking, surely this is all a strange coincidence. But Jordan tells Nick, Gatsby bought that house so that Daisy would be just across the bay. Do you hear me? That sounds like a stalker wow. to me. What you think? <laughs> I do. I agree. Mm-hmm. And he's having these wild parties, not because he loves them, but because he wants her to notice and just happen to show up to them one day. Yeah. His game is also nonsensical, but okay, go ahead. <laughs> I don't think that's, that's how he saying. see it. <laughs> so now Gatsby is, so um, Jordan is like, look, Gatsby wants you to invite Daisy to your house for tea. Nick is like, well, why didn't he just ask me? Say that. Yeah. Jordan said, oh, well, he think you'll be offended. Nick says, well, why doesn't he just ask you to make the arrangement? Because Gatsby wants to show off his house. Oh. <laughs> and then also, I think you mentioned it already. Uh, Gatsby really thought Daisy was going to show up at these parties. So he, while at these parties, he would casually ask people if they... um if they knew Daisy and Jordan happened to be the first person that ever knew um, Daisy. So it was like, hey, hey. Okay. So after um, Jordan and Nick separate, Nick goes home. He gets home and Gatsby is just hanging around awkwardly outside his house. I'm about, hey, hey, you want to um, you want to go hang out? You want to go hang out? Let's, <laughs> let's go to Coney Island. Let's let's go for a swim. Yeah. He's like, I got to go to bed. Shoot. <laughs> so Nick's really annoyed with Gatsby very annoyed and Nick said Gatsby was looking at him with suppressed eagerness <laughs> I love that expression <laughs> so Nick tells him listen man I did speak to Jordan and I'll call Daisy tomorrow Gatsby's like well that's okay you don't have to do that no don't worry about it he said but do I you really wanna, want you yeah. to that's good <laughs> do you want to do it tomorrow or not okay so they go ahead and do that Part four, together again. The day arrives for tea. Gatsby has the flowers delivered to the house. He has Nick's grass cut, okay? He didn't like the way his grass was looking, so Gatsby <laughs> Gatsby has, had Nick's grass cut. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what he did. Okay. He makes sure he has tea, and then um, Gatsby is just obviously nervous about the meeting, so he leaves out the back door before Daisy walks in. Nick gets in the house with Daisy and is like, hey, wait, wait, what? So why, <laughs> there was someone here for yeah, you. Yeah, there was someone here for you. So Daisy, but wait, on the way to the door, go yeah, ahead. On the way to the door, <laughs> Daisy is like, "Are you in love with me? Is that why you told me not to bring time?" These Nick people are like, bored. She is like, "You want to kiss me, cousin? Is that why you asked me over? Because I'm down for that too." I know. It's so sad. He tells David, "Listen, just tell your chauffeur to pick you up in an hour." Of course, the <laughs> reunion of the couple is kind of awkward. You know, it's a bit uncomfortable. He hasn't seen yeah. her in a while. It's just awkward. It's so awkward that Gatsby feels like, okay, I tried it. I got to get out of here. Nick tells him, man, go back in there. Both of y'all embarrassed. You embarrassed. She embarrassed. She's just embarrassed. So he goes back right. in there. They chat it up. And after being a bit more relaxed, Gatsby invites Daisy and Nick to his house. And he shows them the house and how extravagant it is. And what I thought was interesting is still how simple, even though he lived in all that extravagance, Nick's, not Nick, um, 
Gatsby's. Gatsby's room, his bedroom, his living quarters, if you will, were simple, very simple, except he had this mm-hmm. um, solid gold uh, toilet set, which I think is like a maybe a comb and brush set with a mirror or mm-hmm. something, something like that. Anyway, solid gold. And Daisy take picks up the comb or the brush and starts brushing her hair like, oh, this is wonderful. So she's all <laughs> into it. She's loving all of it. Like is. fantasizing, mm-hmm. like, what if I lived mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. and I didn't have my kid that I see once a week or my husband exactly (laughs) so Mm -hmm. um but he did have a lot of clothes in the closet you know all the finest thing he said there's a man in England that buys him clothes at the beginning of every season could you get into something like that (laughs) could you me of course are you insane that'd be crazy at the beginning of every season (laughs) that's uh rent the runway hey that's what we call rent the runway get into Mm -hmm. it except somebody else is buying and paying for them okay that's what we want (laughs) (laughs) and you get to keep them yeah and so no one else is warning them never mind go ahead exactly all of that so then you know they're all in the house and then they step outside and then uh, Gatsby points out that you know you really could see your house directly across the bay but there's a kind of a mist in the air but just know I always see that um, green light that burns all night at the end of your dock so he's telling Daisy I stare at your house at night mm-hmm. from across the bay isn't that romantic that's questionable that's what that is questionable oh my goodness next level stalkerish uh, yeah. part five the e-true story with a party on the side at this point <laughs> Gatsby comes clean to Nick he tells him his real story his legal name is James Gatz. He changed it about the age of 17, 18 when he met a guy named Dan Cody. Dan Cody was about 50 years old. Gatsby says, look, my parents were shifty, shiftless, lazy people. So I'm thinking the way this is described, um, Gatsby was kind of a beach bum. He was living on the beach, picking up stuff and selling mm-hmm. it to people. Dan's Cody, Dan Cody's yacht kind of docked and... Um, Gatsby saw and he's like, ooh, that's not a good day to drop anchor. So he gets on a boat and runs out to kind of tell him. And he tells him, yeah, it's not a good idea, but they hit it off. He tells him, he listens to him. They become fast friends. Cody teaches Gatsby everything he knew. Cody had a lot of money, but he also had women. And the story is, is that he was on the verge of soft-mindedness, but he was also a drinker. A heavy drinker, which is one of the reasons. Oh, so he might have been slow? No, not slow. I think maybe like a dementia was starting to set in. That's oh, what it makes okay, me okay. think of. Um, and so he had, by the time that Gatsby met Cody, he had been out to sea at least five years, five years. And they traveled when they got together. They traveled the continent three times over another five year period until one night. Uh, Ella Kate, which is a girlfriend of um, Cody's. Um, a girlfriend of Cody's came on board and after she left a week later, Dan Cody died. <gasps> Was it connected? Did she poison him? It, we're left to draw that conclusion. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Oh, something just clicked for me. Okay. Go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're left to draw that conclusion because he—he's a man with money. What many people wanted, and she's one of the people that wanted it. And so while uh, Cody did leave Gatsby money, Ella made it sure that he didn't receive it. James Gats—that was really, or at least legally, his name. He had changed it at the age of 17 and at the specific moment that witnessed the beginning of his career. 
when he saw Dan Cody's yacht drop anchor over the most insidious flat on Lake Superior. It was James Gatz, who had been loafing along the beach that afternoon in a torn green jersey and a pair of canvas pants, but it was already Jay Gatsby who borrowed a rowboat, pulled out to the Tuolumne, and informed Cody that a wind might catch him and break him up in half an hour. I suppose he'd had the name ready for a long time, even then. His parents were shiftless and unsuccessful farm people. His imagination had never really accepted them as his parents at all. The truth was that Jay Gatsby of West Egg, Long Island, sprang from his platonic conception of himself. He was a son of God, a phrase which, if it means anything, means just that. And he must be about his father's business, the service of a vast, vulgar, and meretricious beauty. So he invented just the sort of Jay Gatsby that a 17-year-old boy would be likely to invent. And to this conception, he was faithful to the end. For over a year, he had been beating his way along the south shore of Lake Superior as a clam digger and a salmon fisher, or any other capacity that brought him food and bed. His brown, hardened body lived naturally through the half-fierce, half-lazy work of the bracing days. He knew women early, and since they spoiled him, he became contemptuous of them, of young virgins because they were ignorant, of the others because they were hysterical about things which, in his overwhelming self-absorption, he took for granted. But his heart was in a constant, turbulent riot. The most grotesque and fantastic conceits haunted him in his bed at night. A universe of ineffable gaudiness spun itself out in his brain while the clock ticked on the washstand and the moon soaked with wet light his tangled clothes upon the floor. For a while, these reveries provided an outlet for his imagination. They were a satisfactory hint of the unreality of reality, a promise that the rock of the world was founded securely on a fairy's wing. He was still searching for something to do on the day that Dan Cody's yacht dropped anchor in the shallows along shore. Back to the present. One day, three people go out horseback riding and they stop by Gatsby's house to just get a drink. You know, you riding down the street one day and you say, hey, I'm going to stop by my friend's house. This is what happened. Mm-hmm. I'd do that to you. Yeah, I would do that to you. <laughs> <laughs> so Tom Buchanan is one of these people. He meets Gatsby again as if he never met him. Gatsby's like, I know you and I know your wife. <laughs> Ooh, and Tom is like, you know my wife. That's, a, that's an audacious thing to say to a man. Yeah. Yeah. How are you? I know your wife. I know your wife. <laughs> Gatsby invites them to stay for dinner. And then after refusing, they invite him to dinner. He agrees. He says he'll follow them in his car since he doesn't have a horse. And they leave while he's getting his stuff together. How rude. Yeah, they did him while he's trying to get ready. To, he's so excited. Like, oh, I'm going out with them. <laughs> and he comes out and they go. <laughs> they already gone. But Tom mm-hmm. starts thinking like, why my wife out by herself meeting people and stuff? What's going on? Mm-hmm. He don't like that. Because cheaters, cheaters are always like suspicious mm-hmm. of the innocent one. Yeah, yeah, but she was cheating. <laughs> Listen, Tom. <laughs> well, this one case, it was justified. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tom and Daisy later go to Gatsby's party. And as our narrator, again, who is Nick, says, the party seems to be a bit more oppressive with time present you know time got issues mm-hmm. he got a lot of them mm-hmm. anyway when the party is over Gatsby just feels that Daisy didn't really enjoy herself so of course he's determined to fix, fix whatever it is 
It's clear that Gatsby wants Daisy to tell Tom he ne- she never loved him. Gatsby remembers the past. He's living in it, right? Nick tells Gatsby, look, don't ask her for too much. Don't ask Daisy for too much. It's not good. You can't repeat the past. And Gatsby says, <laughs> of course you can. What do you mean I can't? Re- what, the, what am I doing? Exactly. <laughs> he, Obviously, the past can be repeated. He said, I'm mm-hmm. going to fix everything just the way it was before. She'll see and you'll see too. <laughs> the sixth and final part, cheaters. You hear me? Cheaters. Since Daisy <laughs> was coming by Gatsby's home more often, Gatsby fired all the servants and replaced them with some folks at Wolfsheim. Now, you remember Wolfsheim? He was a gambler that fixed the 1919 World Series. Right. Mm-hmm. Wolfsheim knew these people. They used to run a small hotel. Gatsby didn't want anybody running their mouth to the press or anybody else about what was going on in his house. So they had to go. <laughs> but the house wasn't as well kept as it used to be. People called it a pigsty. Anyway. Uh, Gatsby and Nick head over to the Buchanan's one night for dinner and Jordan's there hey Jordan that's his boo thing I keep telling you (laughs) it's a hot day everybody's hot you know how it's just oppressively hot outside and you just Mm -hmm. like you cannot find relief this was one of those irritated Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah sticky yep your natural deodorant done worn off (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know the deal so at this day (laughs) party Daisy is showing out. Y'all, she is showing out. Guess what she do? She kisses Gatsby when um Ooh, when Tom isn't, isn't looking. Tells him, <laughs> tells Gatsby she loves him. But Tom caught it. He caught it. <laughs> oh, he saw that. Tom also gets like this tense call. And while we assume that it's from the girlfriend, Myrtle, it's actually from Mr. Wilson. He's pr- Myrtle's husband. Myrtle's husband, who's pressing Tom about the sale of a car that he promised. Um, Tom promised to sell Mr. Wilson, Myrtle's husband, a car. Daisy told Gatsby, Daisy wants to do something. So Tom suggests they go into New York. So they gather up some things and drive into New York. Tom says, I'll drive Nick and Jordan in Gatsby's yellow car. Gatsby drives Daisy in Tom's car. Now, you know, Gatsby don't like this because he want all his stuff to be with his woman. I mean, not his woman, Mm -hmm. but the woman he cheating with. (laughs) Gatsby tells Tom, it may need some gas, but Tom is like, well, whatever. You don't know what you're talking about. But as they're driving along, Nick remembers that Tom said that Gatsby said, let's get some gas. Wait, okay, wait. So they're taking a random trip to the city, to New York City. Yeah, something to do. For no reason. Something to do. Um, Gatsby and <laughs> Okay, Gatsby and Daisy are in one car, and in the other car is Tom, Daisy's husband, Jordan, and Nick. That is correct. Uh-huh. So as and jo- Go ahead. uh Tom, Jordan, and Nick are in Tom's car. Yes. Okay, okay. All right. So they're driving along. Nick remembers Gatsby said, get gas. He's like, this is a gas station right here. Let's get gas. Tom is still not interested in getting gas. But then Jordan speaks up. She's like, it is way too hot to be out here stuck with no gas. Stranded. It's a gas mm-hmm. station right here. Let's pull on up in here. So they pull up 
in the gas station. And that gas station, of course, is Mr. Wilson's gas station. So this is um, Myrtle's husband's gas station. Tom's girl. So at the station, Mr. Wilson isn't moving as quickly as Tom would like. And Mr. Wilson says he's not really feeling well. He said you was feeling. Tom said to Mr. Wilson, you were feeling well when you called my house. He said, well, I didn't mean to interrupt your lunch. I just need some money pretty bad. Tom offers to sell Gatsby's car and asks, why do you need the money so bad? He said, I've been here too long. I want to get away. My wife and I want to go west. Tom is startled and says, your wife does? <laughs> he says, she's been talking about it for 10 years. Now she's going whether she wants to or not. I'm going to get her away. Tom sees Daisy and Gatsby fly by in the car. So he's a little distracted. But he did hear... Mm-hmm what Mr. Wilson said about Myrtle going away. And so while Tom tries to pay Mr. Wilson, kind of hurry up and get away, Mr. Wilson says, you know, I, I got wise up to something funny the last two he days. Not feel it. That's why I want to get away. That's why I've been, mm-hmm, I've been bothering you about that car. Tom tells Mr. Wilson, he'll let him have the car. He'll send it over tomorrow afternoon. And while um, they're at the station, Myrtle is in the house actually looking Mm -hmm. down. I guess they have a house over the garage. She's looking down out the window down at Tom, Jordan, and Nick and thinking Jordan is actually Daisy Buchanan. She's shooting her daggers. So she's feeling some type of way. Mm -hmm. So at this point, Tom is a little on edge. He is losing a grip on what he knows to be Mm -hmm. true and right in his mind. Mistress. He got the... um, The woman he's cheating with, yeah, the mistress is getting ready to go off to the to the west or whatever. His wife is and kissing then, other um, men at parties that he's his also wife is having an affair <laughs> <laughs> in real life. Mm-hmm. So, if Gatsby and Daisy get out of sight, he focuses on keeping them in sight because he don't want them to pull off the road and get involved in nothing. So this is the sweeping <laughs> yeah. last part. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? So they get to New York. They're in a the hotel room and with plans of enjoying some refreshing mint juleps. Now, again, folks, they was already in a big old hot house. They then go to a small hotel room, which is larger, but still small. Not as big as their house. Oh, brother. And they drink no air conditioner. None, nunners. So they just mad. And they drink it. So they hot or hot. Oh, hot or hot. Hot and crabby. Hot and crabby. And tell, Tom tells Daisy, why don't you stop crabbing about things? You know, shoot. Right. If you be crabbing, that make it worse. Gatsby tells Tom, you are the one that wanted to come to town. Tom is like, oh, pump your brakes, buddy. So he starts picking at Gatsby as he uses the term constantly, <laughs> old sport. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah, like, so why you use old sport? You ain't English. Maybe Aaron's trying anyway. to sound fancier than he is, and he calls everyone old sport. And Tom is like, that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he is sick of it by this point. Daisy kind of defends Gatsby and tells him to order some ice. So when Tom picks up the phone to order ice, he hears a marching song mm -hmm. on the air, a wedding marching song. So they start talking about weddings. And the conversation goes to Daisy and Jordan, who speak about Daisy and Tom's wedding, who had a June wedding. And it was it was so hot there, too. And this man fainted, this man who said he was the president of Tom and Yale's um, Tom and Nick's Yale class. And they're like, oh, okay, well. 
you know, that wasn't really our president. That man lied. But that prompts Tom to question Gatsby's Oxford status. So Gatsby explains, hey, yeah, I did. I went to Oxford for five months. It was an opportunity that the military gave the officers. We could go to any university in England or yeah, France. Tom so Tom is to like, be a really gotcha looking moment. stupid I know you didn't point. attend Oxford and graduate. And Nick's, uh, Gatsby's like, no. And I never said I graduated there, but I did attend. And this is why. And it's the truth. So it flows easily off my tongue. And everyone that everyone's on Gatsby's side. So they're like, yeah, get Tom because we hate him because he's a white supremacist, but he's rich. So we're going to keep hanging out with him. (laughs) Yeah, all of that. And so this prompts Tom. Tom is like, wait, wait. okay, still, I got another question. Now, what kind of (laughs) row are you trying to cause in my house anyway? So essentially all the cards are on the table and Gatsby is ready and he is happy. He was like, let's get into it. (laughs) So this is like an episode of Cheaters where there's cheaters, but they're not hiding and they're not actually fighting. So Gatsby tells them, your wife doesn't love you and she never did. Now, Mm -mm. Daisy wasn't ready for this conversation. So, of course, she's immediately put on the spot. And so Gatsby is like, wait, this has been going on for Five years. Tom was like, five years? I didn't even know her five years ago. <laughs> and Gatsby's like, wait, let me clarify. Not seeing, but we could have met, okay? We could have been together. But both of us have loved each other all this time, old sport. And you didn't know. And Tom says, well, okay. I didn't know her that long ago, but I know she loved me when we were married. And she loves me now. Gatsby says, I don't think so, sir. He actually wants Daisy to speak up, you know, but Daisy is. Yeah, this is more than she was ever going to do. She thought she could just keep Gatsby on the side. Ever. Whatever. Yep. And so, yeah, Tom is like defending himself now. He says, um, I just foolish sometimes. You know, I love Daisy. Once in a while I go off on a spree. I make a fool of myself, but I always come back. In my heart, I love her all yeah, the time. Yeah, let me go and you I'll know, always come back to you because right? it was meant to be. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> so she, so of course this offends um, Daisy, but you know, they go on. She tells Gatsby, Gatsby, listen, you want too much. I love you now. Isn't that enough? She says, I did love Tom, but I loved you too. Now, this took Gatsby by surprise. He didn't like the sound of it. It was shocking words. Tom says to everybody in the room, there are things between Daisy and me that you will never know and things that neither of us can ever forget. Gatsby then says, Daisy is leaving you. Tom said, Daisy not leaving me for no common swindler like you. Whoa, shots fired. Yes, the business is industry. Tom then runs it down. Listen, Gatsby is a no-count bootlegger, a bootlegger. And them drugstores you thought he owned, bootlegging, all bootlegging. It's low down. So Tom put... Gatsby's business in the street and Daisy buckles. She's like, I can't take this. This is way too much. So Tom is like, oh, yeah, (laughs) one for me. He tells Daisy and Gatsby, yeah, y'all leave. Y'all go on. Take Gatsby's car and y'all go back to the house. Really ain't going nowhere now. I exposed your boyfriend. So, you know, you can get in the car with him and drive right back on home. Let's all go back home. This drive was pointless. (laughs) Like our lives. Let's go back home. Mm, It was. 
Yeah. And so on the way back home, Tom sees what looks like commotion at Mr. Wilson's garage. Okay. That's his girlfriend's husband. So he pulls over to see and learns that Myrtle was killed by a hit and run driver of what people mm. say was a yellow car. Dun, da, da, da. Yes. It seems Myrtle was running out to speak to the driver of the car, thinking it was Tom, who she had seen earlier. And as she ran out there, the car oh, because, hit her, um, killing Gatsby her instantly. and Daisy were driving Tom's car. That's right. After the accident, Gatsby drives Daisy home and then kind of sits out and waits in front of their house. Um, kind of for to protect her. Maybe if mm-hmm. Tom overreacts, overreacts. Um, so, yeah, he's sitting outside waiting. And then Nick comes up. Mm-hmm. So Nick is disgusted by all of this, of course. But Nick shows up and he sees Gatsby out there sitting outside Daisy's house. But while he's sitting out there, um, Gatsby's like, nope, I'm going to stay all night. I just want to wait until she pulls the shade and gives me the OK that everything is going to be all right. So Nick goes and kind of looks into the house and he sees um, Daisy and Tom kind of like they're in yeah, they're um, like consoling reconciliation each other mode. Over so the like, events of the day. And they look like mm-hmm. a couple. Yeah. They look like a couple. So he kind of walks away and And Gatsby stays there, home. right? Or just and that's it. Waiting for nothing. And Gatsby yeah. stays there till like four in the morning. Yeah. Waiting for the signal that it's okay to go to bed. (laughs) Ain't nobody thinking about him. But we learned that evening, Gatsby tells Nick that Daisy was the driver of the car. She was so nervous from the earlier confrontation between the men she loved. She felt like driving would calm her down. So when she got behind the wheel, um, she was by so she was behind the wheel when Myrtle was hit. And Gatsby was like, well, I'm not going to let I'll her go down I for that. Driving. So I'll, I'll take that. But of course, yeah, of course, Mr. Wilson is devastated. He already is physically sick over the idea that his wife is cheating. But now he feels like the driver of the yellow car showed a complete disregard for his wife. And he believes that the driver of the car mm-hmm. was the person that Myrtle was cheating with. So he knows that Tom was driving that car. So either Tom mm. is the man she's cheating with or he knows who who was the person. So Mr. Wilson charges Tom up at home and charges mm-hmm. him up like, so what's up? What's up? What you got? Did you, was you messing <laughs> with my wife? Tom was like, ah, ah, ah. it's that man over there on the other side. Go on and get him. His name is Jay Gatsby. Get at him. So he was, you know, um, preserving his life ultimately. So, so he ratted out Gatsby and Mr. Wilson goes to Gatsby's house, shoots Gatsby, and then shoots himself. Yeah, that happened. So Nick finds out that Gatsby is dead and he calls Daisy and learns that Daisy and Tom have packed up and left town with no expected return date, no forwarding address. Nick tries to plan a private, well, he plans a private funeral for Gatsby and he really finds that Gatsby has All no true All these parties plans. filled with hundreds of people and no one showed up, but two. Yeah, and then he also learns that um, Daisy didn't even send flowers. So by he is really cousin, disgusted yeah. by these um, people. Yeah, by his cousin. 
and this lifestyle that they live, this careless lifestyle. He ends up running into uh, Tom sometime later. And Tom's like, hey, don't don't you want to shake my hand? He was like, "Uh, no, absolutely not. And he Mm -hmm. was like, man, I did what I had to do. I did what I had to do. But this is something that really um, that really bothers Nick. Careless people. The behavior of these um, self-indulgent and careless people. It's something that offends Nick. And he um, puts it, he puts it very nice. One afternoon late in October, I saw Tom Buchanan. He was walking ahead of me along Fifth Avenue in his alert, aggressive way, his hands out a little from his body as if to fight off interference, his head moving sharply here and there, adapting itself to his restless eyes. Just as I slowed up to avoid overtaking him, he stopped and began frowning into the windows of a jewelry store. Suddenly, he saw me and walked back, holding out his hand. What's the matter, Nick? Do you object to shaking hands with me? Yes. You know what I think of you? You're crazy, Nick, he said quickly. I don't know what's the matter with you. Tom, I inquired, what did you say to Wilson that afternoon? He stared at me without a word, and I knew I had guessed right about those missing hours. I started to turn away, but he took a step after me and grabbed my arm. I told him the truth, he said. He came to the door while we were getting ready to leave, and when I sent down word that we weren't in, he tried to force his way upstairs. He was crazy enough to kill me if I hadn't told him who owned the car. His hand was on the revolver in his pocket every minute he was in the house. He broke off defiantly. What if I did tell him? That fellow had it coming to him. He threw dust in your eyes, just like he did in Daisy's, but he was a tough one. He ran over Myrtle like you'd run over a dog and never even stopped his car. There was nothing I could say except the one unutterable fact that it wasn't true. And if you think I didn't have my share of suffering, look here. When I went to give up that flat and saw that box of dog biscuits sitting there on the sideboard, I sat down and cried like a baby. By God, it was awful. I couldn't forgive him or like him, but I saw that what he had done was to him entirely justified. It was all very careless and confused. They were careless people, Tom and Daisy. They smashed up things and creatures and then retreated back into their money or their vast carelessness or whatever it was that kept them together and let other people clean up the mess they had made. I shook hands with them. It seemed silly not to, for I felt suddenly as though I was talking to a child. Then he went into the jewelry store to buy a pearl necklace or perhaps only a pair of cuff buttons, rid of my provincial squeamishness forever. So that brings us to the end of the book. Let's take a quick break. Okay, sounds good. All right, so we're back. That was the story of the Great Gatsby. It was a little winded. Mm-hmm. A lot of information. I wanted y'all to get the point, but Kari, let's hear your thoughts. What's the final verdict? Would you recommend it? My final verdict and would I recommend it? I have to say, I don't know why this is prescribed to children to read. I don't think I got it as a child. Um, <laughs> uh, it's also full of drunkenness and um, sexual promiscuity. It's not explicit at all, but the themes are very adult. And I just, very, I don't very. know how these books were chosen for kids to read. But 
moving on from that, as an adult, I really enjoyed reading this book. I felt like the meaning behind everything, um, Fitzgerald has a great way of um, making the reader infer things by what's said on the page. He won't explicitly say, for example, that Wilson shot Gatsby and then shot himself. Right. He'll say that they found Gatsby floating in the pool in a circle of red or a crim- you know, a crimson circle. Yeah. And they mm-hmm. found Wilson nearby. You are supposed to then understand from that that it was a murder suicide. And I never got these these. He, there are a lot of uh, gems like that in the book. And I never got them, I don't think, as a as a kid, as a child reading it at 13 or 14 or whatever. So as an adult, I really appreciated the writing style. I felt like the flow of it was effortless, um, beautifully written. And the story, it's like a long, sad Seinfeld episode. Nothing is happening here. (laughs) (laughs) They're not doing anything. They just go from place to place looking for cocktails. And that's their life. Um, They have money and no purpose, but it's entertaining. It was really entertaining to me. So I would definitely recommend it. What about you? What do you think of The Great Gatsby? So I got to say, this is a different read <laughs> when I read it this time. Very different from the last time I read it and even the first time I read it. Because when I first read it, I thought it was a love story. Yeah. Oh, in a love of here. course. That's common. Kids and teenagers yes. really see themselves in Gatsby. Like he seems like the hero. Yeah. He loves her. Who doesn't want this kind of love? <laughs> that's demented. You hear me? That is Run. messed up. If a man but buys that's a house what I across grew up the street on. from you and just stares at you and makes your cousin invite you over so he can cheat with you. <laughs> Run. That's and all privately. crazy. Yeah. But that's what I grew up on, thinking this was a love story. So all I saw, even in the movies that I saw, I saw that got this in the mind of, say, a teenager. And I believe this was a love story. So that but then I was also reading the Harlequin romances, too. So that's different. OK, but still, <laughs> this spoke to me as a love story. But today I don't see it as a love story. It's not a love story at all. You guys, I don't. I, it's not a love story. So what kind don't of story know. is it? Is it like a cautionary tale? it is a tragic tale and very cautionary beware watch out for the people that just be staring at you and there's a metaphor in these (laughs) eyes that look over this like desert plain that they have to cross from where they live to new york city and a lot of people think that represents god looking down so you might live a life of debauchery and think hey this is great or whatever but you will be judged for your actions at the end and that's what actual actually Myrtle's husband said to Myrtle right. he's like God knows what you're doing and and it was a reference the to the, the, um, the yeah. painting that was mm-hmm. yep God knows what you're doing you can't hide nothing from him so I mean really this um, book was um, pretty interesting um, I wouldn't <laughs> recommend it to the no. youth of the world <laughs> what are they going to do with this information what is this why are we reading this in school <laughs> But I want answers but it is <laughs> very well yeah. written and you cannot take that away from yeah. them so there you go well, thank you mm-hmm. sounds very good well what are we reading next week Alexis Dear Committee yes. Members by Julie Schumacher that's it nail on the head and we changed up the reading schedule this month to lighten up the mood <laughs> you know we're recording remotely there's a slight delay and you know people are stuck inside and unlike you and I me and you 
not everyone likes being stuck inside. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we wanted to true. give you readers That's something true. to laugh at. So we're going to throw some comedy in there. So yeah, next week, dear committee members. So thank you guys for listening to Lit Society. We'll see you next Thursday. Don't forget to check out our pop-up shop, LitSocietyPodShop.com. Again, LitSocietyPodShop.com. Um, that'll be open until Wednesday, the 15th of April. Uh, Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Honoria and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by shopping in our store and leaving a five-star review for us on Apple Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us. We love y'all, too. If you've enjoyed what you just heard, and you have, you have, okay? Be honest. You enjoyed it. Tell your friend. Call your mama up. Say, I just found this show about books. You like books. Hey, girl, listen to this. Um, Visit (laughs) drama.lissocietypod.com. Visit that website, our website, for show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. And until next time.